It's my privilege to tell you about my conversion, and I look at it as not just my conversion, but also that of my whole family. You recognize that the conversion of one person in a home will often mean that everybody in the home is converted. The flip side of that is also true, and that is if one person in the family loses his way, it often results in everybody's losing the way in that home. And so we need to be carefully guarded ourselves. Parents need to guard their children. We need to guard our characters. How carefully are we to guard our characters? We are told how carefully. It is as carefully as you would guard your physical health if it were imperiled. So we need to guard our spiritual health with great care. And uh, parents, as you will see as I unfold my own story, you will see that uh, parents need to guard their children, especially when they get to the age where they can start taking responsibility for things. So I'd like to tell you the kind of home that I was born into. My parents were both from a religious home. My mother's parents were Adventists, not Seventh-day, probably from the Millerites as well as I can tell. They lived in North Alabama. My father's father was a Baptist minister loved the message very much, had a Baptist church where he preached every week. Before I was a week old, I was in church my first time. My family were strict, and we were very careful about things having to do with morality, honesty, honor, truthfulness, telling the truth, guarding one's language. It needed to be refined in language like Christians should be refined. My husband's home was probably of a similar nature. They were not quite as strict as we were. I grew up and I went to the academy. I went to Martha Berry School for Girls. The place was quite religious, Episcopal in its outlook. We had a beautiful choir, and I appreciated that. I loved church. As time went by, I swallowed the bait of evolution. By the time I got to medical school, I was a virtual atheist, but could not, of course, declare myself to be an atheist. In fact, it never really crossed my mind to do so until I met my husband. By the time I met my husband, I, I was fully an atheist. My friends were good girls, and, uh, and generally the good girls went to church, and the, go the girls who were not good girls didn't go to church, so I went to church all the time. They were my friends. My whole social life was based around the church. But when I met my husband in medical school, he had had the same influences that I had and was a virtual atheist by the time we met. And uh, he was a bit more bold than I, and so it wasn't very long after we met that I was willing to 
call myself an atheist as well. If anybody said, what is your religion? I don't have one. I'm an atheist. We were married and established a very secular home. It was literary. We loved literary excellence and professional excellence. And that was our whole focus in life, was to be the best physician that it was possible to be and to have the, the greatest education that a person could get. And so we were constantly working on that. I became very strongly embedded in an atheistic type of secularism. We were never what you would call amoral. Most everything that we did was based on some kind of morality, something that was good. We uh, believed in physical fitness, and so we were quite willing to have a lot of games. So our basement, the basement of our home, had games on the floor and games on the wall and games on tables and uh, this kind of thing. And we invited our friends for uh, things that were active, wanting to be healthy. Another of my uh, enjoyments was that of financial gain. I felt that if you were going to perpetuate yourself in any way, it would be by leaving a library to a school or perhaps a, a wing on a hospital or something of that nature. And uh, so that was another of my goals to amass enough money to be able to leave some kind of legacy of that kind. As the world looks at these things, they are not uh, unworthy goals, are they? They're what most people would think would be a good way to look at life. Into this kind of life, uh, which my husband shared fully, we decided to take a trip. We'd been married by that time perhaps 10 years. We decided to take a trip to Seattle while I took my board exams in pathology. Big event. I was scheduled to take the exam and then we were going to rent a car and drive a ways and stay and enjoy the scenery and then fly and drive and fly and drive. And it was a very nice trip. While we were on the way, we met a Seventh-day Adventist candidate for the exam also. His name was Bill Thompson. Because his name was close to mine, it just happened that we were assigned back-to-back -back at laboratory benches. The exam was given in two parts. The first part was on Friday, beginning early in the morning. When our trip was over and we were back at Columbus, this uh, pathologist, whose name was Bill Thompson, was at Emory, where I had done my training, but he had come after I had left. They had just set up at Emory some of these automatic uh, laboratory machines, these robot chemists and robot uh, cell counters and robot uh, cytology examiners. And uh, he said they liked it very much. And uh, so I told him that I had the same equipment that we were just about to install at St. Francis. And as soon as I got back, I was eager to open the boxes and set, set up the equipment. And the equipment did not function well for me, so I thought, hmm, Bill Thompson, Emory. I'll call him and I'll explain the problem that I have. 
maybe he can tell me what's wrong. So he said, yes, uh, I did what he said. And, but it turned out that I had to call him two or three times about that same piece of equipment. And I became embarrassed with that, with calling on him so many times. So I arranged with him a contract, which pathologists frequently do, with a pathologist from a large center like Emory. And so he came down once a month to consult with uh, me in the laboratory and with my staff and also to teach in the School of Medical Technology there at, and the blood bank school. And it was a very pleasant relationship. My husband would take us out to lunch. Uh, he and I would have roast beef. And this man would have a vegetable plate. We had no idea that that was the way that Seventh-day Adventists ate. We knew that he was a teetotaler, but we didn't understand about being vegetarian. One day I showed him a tumor that's 100% fatal, or was at that time in women. He just put it under the microscope and he said, mm, clucked his tongue, and I said, bad news for her, curtains for her. And uh, he said, yes, unless the Lord heals her. Well, I was astounded that anybody would think in those terms. And so I said, you can't mean that you think she could be healed. And he said, yes, I do. I changed the subject from that because I knew that I had no way that I could relate to that kind of thought. And I went home and I said, do you know what these Adventists believe? And my husband said, what? I said, they believe in divine healing. He said, really? The next time, I believe it was, or a time or so after that, in the afternoon, he was looking at some slides, and so I showed him another slide, and he said something about a young age of the earth. Again, I said, you believe that the earth was created in six days? And his simple statement was, yes, I do believe that. Well, again, it was an astounding thought that somebody educated at the university could believe that way. So I went home and I said to my husband, do you know what these Adventists believe? <laughs> he sort of shook his head and clucked his tongue over that one and went back to watching his football. Well. Time went by, and I was introduced through Bill Thompson to an Adventist minister. His name was A.C. Becker. Mr. Becker came to our home one night, and uh, my husband and I were just ready to go out, and I was a bit annoyed that he came to our home, and so I just said to my husband, tell him that we can't see him right now, we're leaving. He said to my husband, I'll come back later. So my husband said, fine. I was not happy when he came back in a week, <laughs> but I was the only one home at that time. My husband was not home yet. Now, we'd been in practice in Columbus probably for about a year, I guess, at that time. Pathologists always step right into a busy practice, but not so with internal medicine men. They start with no patients. They have a shingle and an office, and that's all. So when somebody comes by and sees a shingle up, they say, ah, internal medicine. And if somebody needs an internist, then they make an appointment. Sometimes he would have one or two a day, 
and it took a long time for him to build a busy practice. But a lot of the doctors in town, recognizing his level of training and an uncanny ability to make diagnoses, well, they recognized that, and so he became a consultant physician rather quickly. So this night when A.C. Becker came to our door, he had a patient at the hospital. So I said to Mr. Becker, you can come in for a little while, but when my husband comes home, you'll have to leave then because we have an evening schedule that we go by, and so we, you, you won't be able to stay after he comes. And so my husband was tied up and tied up and tied up and tied up and tied up. It was two hours, and the pastor sat there all that time. And he told me about the Bible, and most of the time, I expressed my skepticism. He was not at all discomfited by anything that, that I said, any of my little remarks about the Bible. or uh, He just took those with the greatest of kindness and ease. I was impressed by that, and I began to think, you know, I have been really quite a stuffed shirt with this man. And he, about that time, he asked me if I would like to take uh, Bible studies. And my statement to him was, Mr. Becker, I can't think of anything I would rather do less than study the Bible. But he took that also with just the greatest of ease. I thought he would think of that as being final and would leave. <laughs> but that was about the time that the stuffed shirt idea got, got really to me, and I got to thinking, I am unkind to a person who is a guest in my home. And I began to think, I need to be more kind to this man. He really believes in what he's telling me. So I said, all right, I'll take a study. Uh, next Tuesday, at my office in the hospital, not at my home, because I'd have more control over the matter in the hospital. So when he came in, on Tuesday, it was at 5 o'clock, which was when I left the hospital. I was pushing the door open this way to the laboratory when he pushed it open that way. And he met me with my purse in my hand, leaving. He said, were you expecting me? And I said, oh yes, come in. <laughs> so he said, he got right into the Bible study and he said, would you take your Bible? And I said, well, uh, and I was a little uncomfortable. I don't have one here. Well, I was the pathologist at a Catholic hospital, so I had no, no doubt but that I could borrow one. You know, they'd let me take it to my department. So I went to the nurse at the nursing station on the first floor, asked if I could borrow a Bible. And she said, well, we don't have one here. Went to the other wing, we don't have one. Second floor, one wing, no Bible, no Bible. Third floor, no Bible, no Bible. Fourth floor, no Bible, no Bible. Fifth floor was the OB wing, and the nurse there said, yes, a, a man, an expectant father, left a Bible out in the waiting room, and you're welcome to borrow that. So I took that Bible and went down, but by that time, a good 20 minutes had passed. Went back down, and he was patiently waiting there in my office, and uh, we studied about what the Bible says about itself. And I'd sit there and I'd take off my earrings and I would, I would diddle them on the desk and I would kick my, 
my foot, I was obviously nervous and tired and, and didn't want to study. And I tried to make that plain by my body language. If the phone would ring, I would linger on the phone as long as I could and, and hang up. As I look back on that, I just think, I just thank the Lord for that man who stayed, who stayed by me all that time with my unpleasant, rude behavior. And I just thank the Lord because my whole family's salvation teetered on the brink that night. He said, did you like the study? It was about an hour and three quarters. And so I said, yes, any Southern woman is going to do that, of course. And he said, would you like to study again next week? Yes. What time? Same time. So I said, fine. Next week, same scenario as the first time. I was pushing the door that way when he pushed the door that way. Are you expecting me? Yes. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this time, I went up to the fifth floor and got the Bible, brought it back down. I did that three weeks in a row. The second study was on the second coming of the Lord. Since I didn't believe in his first coming, the second coming of the Lord was a poor choice on the part of the pastor. Same kind of thing, lingering and nervous and kicking my leg. And third week, he got into his study, and uh, we were about halfway through when I suddenly, suddenly heard for the first time that night something that he said. And I said, Mr. Becker, are you saying that when people die, they are dead? He said, yes, I am. And I said, do all religionists teach this way? And he said, no, but it is what the Bible says, isn't it? And I said, well, yes. And I remembered a few texts that he had just been reading. And yes, that is what the Bible said. I didn't know that. I thought I knew the Bible well. I had read it all the way through as a, a girl. I thought I was well-versed in the Bible, and nobody could teach me much about it. That was really what I thought. And here was something that I didn't know about the Bible. When I got home that night, I said, Do you know what these Adventists believe? They believe that when you die, you're really dead. There isn't anything that goes flying off into the ether somewhere. That you're really dead. That you lie in the grave. You're dead in the grave. He said, hmm, and went back to his football. <laughs> By Christmas time, I was a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, I did not identify with the church, but I already believed in the Sabbath. I already believed in the spirit of prophecy. I believed in the state of the dead. I believed in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I believed in righteousness by faith. We had gone over all of those things. And uh, I was very settled that all these things were true. And I was so happy to know these things. I couldn't get around anybody that I couldn't just tell them. Do you know what the Bible says about this or that? And I'm sure that people got so they didn't want to see me coming because I had only one topic that I could talk about. About January, my, the, Mr. Becker said to me one, one night, you know, I'd like to study the Bible with your husband. I said, I will arrange it if I can. So I asked him if he'd like to. No, he didn't think so. So I 
I pulled a little trick on him. <laughs> Wives, you know, know how to do that. And those of you who remember my husband know how very hospitable he was and kindly toward everyone and never met a stranger, could always talk with anybody. So I invited four of the doctors from the hospital to uh, come to our home for a Bible study with the pastor. And I, so I told my husband that they were coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we were all there with Bibles, including my husband. Two of the doctors left within about 45 minutes. The other one had an appointment that he had to go to in about an hour. And uh, my husband was left alone with one other doctor. And uh, the next week, when we were scheduled to have the study, only my husband was there. And he continued with the study. And every night when it was over, the pastor would say, do you have any questions? And he'd say, I have a thousand, and they are all centered in Genesis. Well, he and I were having discussions about evolution and creation. And for the first time in our married life, we would have just really arguments. And, and that was so strange to me. He'd always been such a scholar. And why could he not see? He could not see, and I could tell he could not see that this was a young earth. You know, it was written all over him. It was, he couldn't see it. And I couldn't see how I could see it, and he couldn't see it. And so it would be so frustrating, and I would just, yes, it's this way. No, it's not that way. Yes, it is this way. And we'd have an argument. So we got so we didn't talk about it. I would write him a letter. <laughs> and he'd sit up half the night writing a letter back to me refuting what I had said. That went on for a while until over in the fall. Now, he had started studying long about maybe February or March, and it was in the fall, and I had been baptized in June, and he had come to my baptism. So a couple of doctors from North Georgia invited us to come to uh, what was called soup and salad and everybody was supposed to bring something to go in the soup. And I was just been baptized a couple of months and felt very, very strange. I knew that I was worldly in appearance, and, and they all looked so saintly. Well, that night, Robert Gentry, this young physicist who had just lost his job at Georgia Tech, was giving a talk on pleochroic halos. And if you've ever heard Bob Gentry talk, you know how clear he makes things. My husband went to that meeting an atheist. He came away from that meeting a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> and uh, he was baptized the next month. And uh, I'm thankful to the Lord that uh, the uh, conversion of two people occurred in that same year, 1964. Thank you much.